My name is Richard Henry, and you're listening to the COVID-19 Challenge podcast. So life on Earth began in seawater, in a seawater environment. And ancient seawater was of a particular pH and salt concentration, and uh, also had a particular oxygen and carbon dioxide levels in it. Um, and it was, was in this, this uh, soup, this salt water soup, that, that life evolved um, probably for a few billion years. Now, those, the proteins that have, that have evolved uh, to work in, 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 in cells and to, and to keep them so-called alive um, are, very, are very sensitive to that pH, salt, salt levels, osmolality, and oxygen carbon dioxide levels. And so as life evolved, that uh, infrastructure was maintained, and so uh, as cells became, as organisms became multicellular and they're more complex, they still needed use that term just loosely, they still needed to maintain a seawater environment around each of those cells uh, in order to optimize function. Now there may be some slight you know, modifications over time as we go down different species um, branches, but we still need to maintain a seawater environment. Uh, we also need to maintain temperature as uh, control as well. Uh, some animals do, some don't. Some might just go with ambient temperature, but proteins also function within a, an optimum temperature range. So we need to maintain the seawater within us and around every cell. Um, we, um, within, within, a, within our bodies, we also have different tissue that have much uh, different uh, um, needs, have different metabolic uh, rates, and therefore they may, may need more or less ability to turn that fluid over and to once they've used up the oxygen to get rid of the carbon dioxide. And in us, that's related to blood flow. So our kidneys, heart and blood vessels, and our lungs are all part of the system that are coordinated around maintaining our seawater environment. And in order to coordinate this, coordination requires communication. Communication is based on um, sensors and messages and then... Um, receptors to receive those messages, the decoders, and then a response to that message. And so we end up with a very complex communication system around maintaining seawater environment, which is called the renin angiotensin aldosterone system. Um, in medical, uh, it's often uh, abbreviated to the RAS, the R-A-S or the R-A-A-S, depending if you add an aldosterone. Now that key to the key structures in our body that uh, are involved with the renangiotensin system are our kidneys and the blood, the vessels that line our, our blood, the cells that line our blood vessels called the endothelial cells. So in the kidneys, the distal tubule cells that literally monitor, that monitor uh, urine going out and, and blood staying in and do the final equation and the final balancing of salt and osmolality. Um, and then the endothelial cells, which are monitoring tissue requirements and then um, either increasing or decreasing blood flow to that, e, uh, to that, to that tissue to balance it. Again, um, so kidneys maintaining a gross seawater environment in our, in our blood and blood flow uh, maintaining that balance throughout our, throughout our body through the different tissues. So those vessels are listening to tissue and they listen to the, their suppliers and they're providing um, a product as the suppliers require them. So let's go back uh, to the kidney system. Um, our kidneys 
uh, kidney tubule cells balance urine with blood to maintain an optimum pH salt level and therefore osmolality, which is um, just how, how concentrated is the salt. And that, that actually replicates ancient seawater, not seawater today, but ancient seawater. Just as an aside, it is possible and has been done that in the uh, event of great need, um, uh, humans can be transfused with seawater especially if it's clean, uh, and it, it, is, it can actually be life-saving when there's nothing else to, to transfuse. So an, an intravenous infusion of seawater actually, actually is, is feasible. Uh, it will be a little bit salty, but um, we, we sometimes do that even with um, fluids provided um, through the medical system. Now, in order for tubules to, 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 to do their job, they make a protein system called a sodium channel, and this exchanges um, sodium, um, between the, the urine and the blood, um, so it pulls back sodium, and in return, to keep charge, it, it allows potassium or magnesium to be excreted, and so the kidney can pull back sodium and with it water, uh, at the expense of potassium and magnesium to maintain um, those features of of, of blood, and uh, in that way they also maintain blood volume, um, and. In return, urine can be either more concentrated or more dilute in order to balance out the intra-body seawater. Um, now, just as an aside, um, if you have a very strong system to be able to do this, you can survive times without water and without salt. Um, and so some, um, some pockets of humans uh, have, have lived in environments where they are exposed more to salt and water depletion and so their survivors and through evolution they are much better at, at um, expressing sodium channels in their kidneys um, in order to survive and we'll come back to that later once we look at ACE2 and, uh, and some racial differences. And also another side is there's really no need to, to flush uh, our bodies with of excessive intake of water. And so over the last 20 years, we've seen humans being told to drink water um, excessively, even when they're not thirsty, in order to flush the body. But remember, our kidneys are trying really hard to maintain that exact osmolality uh, and pH and salt concentration. So drinking uh, scads of, of uh, water uh, with who knows what's in it um, just push, actually puts stress on, on those kidneys. And so we're not looking at change or flushing. We're looking at maintaining os um, balance and the best way to do that is to listen to your brain and when you're thirsty to drink water so don't confuse hydration with perfusion so the kidneys maintain hydration and thirst um, but the endothelial cells may uh, then look after perfusion which is individual specific blood flow to different tissue so blood flow is controlled um, at two levels and by two different systems so let's just start with the two systems um, the one system is called the autonomic nervous system, and it, it uh, involves um, uh, nerves uh, that obviously originate in the brain and um, then reach out and go down to the, to the heart, the lungs, and the endothelial cells um, to increase or decrease blood pressure. So when the brain senses that there's not enough pressure or enough flow, it will increase uh, blood flow. Uh, uh, through the, the sympathetic nervous system, one of the things we call the, the stress system, where it releases um, adrenaline, noradrenaline. We can do this directly, um, pointedly, right at the tissue that's required in the heart, in the lungs, and in the endothelium to squeeze blood vessels. And it can also call up for help from the adrenal gland. So when you're under severe stress, let's say, you, let's say your life is threatened or you've just 
nearly had a car accident, or you've had a car accident, your brain can call up help from the adrenal glands and produce much, much higher levels of adrenaline and noradrenaline to help uh, uh, drive that cardiovascular system to maintain blood flow in a time of great stress. In fact, we can even do this ahead of time so when you perceive uh, danger and you know you're going to have to run, you can already jack up your heart rate, your blood pressure and perfusion uh, so that you've really got ex increased blood flow through, through, through tissue or ready to go before you start running. Um, so this system relies on a second messenger um, ion called calcium. Uh, it's switched on and off, and it's really quite benign. It doesn't cause any, any long-term damage, and you can use it your whole life. Um, and it, um, it, it really is um, quite reliable, and it uh, doesn't cause... Um, you don't get inc uh, uh, damage or accrued uh, stress by using that system. The other system relies on perfusion of, of, uh, of kidneys, so kidneys have a, have a role, and they, they're monitoring blood flow as well, so two different parts of the body, um, and they, when they don't have enough uh, perfusion, they will um, activate a different system called the renin-angiotensin system or angiotensin-aldosterone system, which um, then will again target those same, the same, the heart, the blood vessels, the lungs, and the kidneys, and increase um, blood flow. This system relies on nitric oxide as the second messenger, so it doesn't also involve calcium, so they're two separate intracellular systems so they can work independently. Um, this is key to understanding um, uh, blood flow and, and hypertension. So you've got largely two sensory organs, the brain and the kidney, uh, that are monitoring blood flow continually to have little pockets of cells that are monitoring blood flow, oxygen tension, osmolality, uh, salt levels, and they rectify them uh, by, this, by the second, by the minute, uh, and both working together. And, um, you know, you've got to admit it works quite well. We, live, we can live for 100 years and maintain perfusion, uh, minutely controlled uh, every second of every day, even while we sleep. <clears throat> so just as the central nervous system uses the autonomic nervous system uh, as its um, messaging uh, mechanism out into the body, it uses the sympathetic system as the on switch to, to increase cardiac output, increase heart rate, contractility, and, um, and blood vessel contraction, so blood pressure goes up. And it can also balance this off with the parasympathetic nervous system. So you can switch each of these on and off, and so you've got literally an on switch that can be on or off, and an off switch that can be on or off. And so you've got this beautiful balancing system. So too, the renin-angiotensin system Angiotensin system is a complex system, but it uses protein signals uh, rather than catecholamines or um, the adrenaline or adrenaline. And uh, these protein signals are produced um, initially, unstamped generic signal from the liver. The kidney activates it, but it's only when it gets to its, to its further down towards the targets that it's then edited and can be switched into being an on switch or an off switch. So just as the autonomic nervous system has sympathetic and parasympathetic, so the renin-angiotensin system has a, a protease called ACE1, which can activate um, the this, this, this signal to be an on switch, but it also has ACE2, which can uh, activate the uh, message to be an off switch. Equally, ACE2 can take the ACE1-generated uh, peptide or protein signal and switch it to an off switch. And so this is where it gets a little bit complicated. Um, but in the end, think of sympathetic, parasympathetic system, heart rate up, blood pressure up, blood, 
raised down, calm, cool, collected. ACE1, blood pressure up, heart rate up, uh, decreased blood flow versus ACE2, which is calm, calm cool, collected, but only when needed. Now, the renin-angiotensin system will only inc can increase or decrease in its effects as needed. In a well-balanced, happy, active, uh, thin, um, healthy human being, young human being, let's say under 20, this system is, is not used very much. It looks like ACE1, ACE2 levels are quite low. There's not a lot of renin-angiotensin system activity. Um, and, um, and as with all biological systems, it, has, it, it fluctuates in and out and is often turned off as it should be. Um, it's only later on when we get into problems that this renin-angiotensin system uh, gets turned on too high for too long. So first step is to look at how do these, what are these proteins working on um, and what is, what is the, the intention of both of these systems um, in terms of maintaining perfusion. So perfusion... Um, is, is variable. It changes from minute to minute. It changes from, from tissue to tissue, particularly very variable in muscle. A resting muscle will use almost 1% of the oxygen and nutrients that it requires when it's, when it's active. And so particularly in, 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 in healthy muscle, um, those vessels need to be very really quite reactive and to be able to respond to demand. So overall, to increase perfusion, we're going to increase cardiac output. So your heart's going to gonna squeeze stronger um, and it's going to also increase its rate. So the pump's going to empty more of its content and, uh, and it's going to squeeze faster. So your resting heart rate can be 70 with a cardiac output of 6 liters a minute. And then an extreme running the 100 meters for the, for the Olympic gold medal, your heart rate can go all the way up to 200 and your cardiac output can go up to um, 30, 40, 50 liters a minute, so sort of 10 times the output. Um, um, and this is really, really quite, quite a, a remarkable ability of the, of the cardiovascular system, of the heart, to respond this way. It responds to both the uh, sympathetic autonomic nervous system as well as renin-angiotensin system. The, the brain-derived autonomic system is, is for quick changes and the renin-angiotensin is for more long-term changes. So it'll, it'll give you a gain or a loss of function uh, over the long term, but the everyday activity is done by the autonomic nervous system, which, as I said before, is quite harmless. It really doesn't cause any damage. The other part of perfusion is about regional flow, and so uh, blood vessels going to different tissues all have... Uh, muscles, and we call this a vascular smooth muscle, in the walls that, that can constrict and reduce flow or can dilate and increase flow. So it's control of, of those different muscles at a micro level, at a local level, that really distributes blood flow around our bodies and makes sure that the, distrib that, that the distribution is, is, um, is uh, um, matched with the, with the uptake. Now, both systems are muscle. And muscle contraction uh, runs off the same fundamental principle and same biological systems as is found in skeletal muscle, but they're obviously variables, and that's why the three are somewhat independent. So in um, muscle, the release of calcium will cause muscles to contract, and um, it's a complex system, which we may get into one day. Um, and the removal of calcium uh, causes that muscle to, to relax. And so a lot of energy in muscle is actually spent on removing the calcium so that the muscle can relax because you don't want sustained calcium, otherwise you get sustained contraction. 
Um, so calcium is let out and pumped back and let out and pumped back. And it's always under tight control, but it's very quite demanding in energy. That's, that's controlled by the autonomic nervous system through the brain. The renin-angiotensin system um, uh, uh, tries to control or does control the nitric oxide, which is a, another small molecule um, that causes blood um, vascular smooth muscle to relax. And um, it's made by the combination of nitrogen from a minor acid called arginine, and then it's bound to a free, an oxygen-free radical which is created on site. Um, so a, an oxygen molecule is, um, is gifted with an extra electron, becomes very unstable, but this occurs right next to the nitrogen from arginine and produces nitric oxide, which is a little bit more stable and acts as a beautiful signaling molecule just reaches the surrounding muscle and gets that muscle to relax. So our, our endothelium is making nitric oxide all the time. Uh, it takes a little while to, to get nitric oxide manufacturing up and running. And so um, whoever designed us came up with a system that nitric oxide would be manufactured all the time. The fitter you are, the healthier you are, the more you make. And so you can vasodilate better than if you never exercise. But in order to switch it off, Another protein um, came into being, um, which then produces an, an, another molecule of, of superoxide, which binds to nitric oxide and causes a molecule called peroxynitrite to be made, which then switches off nitric oxide and switches on vasoconstriction. And so again, we have a balanced system now with, within a system of nitric oxide versus peroxynitrite. And the more nitric oxide you have, the more vasodilated you are, the more parasympathetic you are, the more vasodilated you are, the more relaxed and happy you are. So that's a nice, happy, healthy um, way, to, way to be. And then in times of stress, uh, you're going to vasoconstrict with calcium and or with peroxynitrite. The calcium system is, is uh, cheap and easy and safe and reusable. Peroxynitrite is, is damaging because it is a free radical and uh, its signaling system creates harm both to that blood vessel and to the surrounding tissue. In fact, this really is the, the key to understanding uh, a lot of our modern diseases, which are sort of centered around excessive production of peroxynitrite, and it's particularly high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, metabolic syndrome. <clears throat> so in order for um, endothelium uh, to work, it's producing, um, it needs to produce uh, superoxide. And this is made by a protein called NADPH oxidase. So the renin-angiotensin system actually causes activation of NADPH oxidase to, to increase peroxynitrite production. And, and then it also causes that cell to make more NADPH oxidase. So the protein is expressed, is made and assembled, uh, and then activated to produce, to produce a peroxide. When a particular cell... Um, is driven hard to do this, it, it itself becomes harmed by this excessive work that it has to do and also by the excessive oxidation that it, it, that it encounters. The other thing that endothelial cells do is they also um, activate a, uh, and it can be activated an inflammatory response where they can literally produce stress signals, uh, inflammatory signals, uh, which then cause downstream changes, which will increase uh, blood vessel formation, will also increase uh, blood vessel healing. Uh, so these are complex um, cascades of events. Um, 
and uh, mediated by things called cytokines, which you've probably heard of the COVID cytokine storm. And so these, these cytokines are, again, another whole family of interchangeable, interactable um, uh, protein messages which, which switch on things. But in the end, we end up with a vas uh, an endothelium that's either causing vasoconstriction or vasodilatation. And it, ideally, it should be doing it intermittently, and uh, things should re revert back to a healthy, normal state between times of stress. <coughs> the final, this final signal that activates those cells is a is a little uh, amino acid, uh, a little small uh, protein complex made up of eight amino acids called angiotensin two. So the original signal comes from the liver edited by the kidney and then the particular target cell will express a protein, a protease protein, which is a, literally a protein with a, with a set of snippers on it, which will then edit the signal and turn it into an active signal and say, I will respond to the signal. I'll take that, I'll take that task and I will, I will create this protein which will bind to receptor which will make me into a better stress-inducing uh, uh, cell, and I will be able to increase blood, throw my weight behind increasing blood pressure. Um, and then equally, when the cell is exhausted and feels it can't do that anymore, it will make a protein called ACE2, which then changes that signal and says, this cell is overworked, it can't do anymore, we need to, we need to step down, somebody else needs to pick up the slack. And so ACE2 actually competes with ACE1 and downgrades the, the signal. So, as I said earlier, the more those cells express ACE1, the more they're driven uh, to, 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 to vasoconstrict and be vasoactive, um, the more stress they get, eventually they're going to start to produce ACE2. So ACE2 is sort of a, um, a call for help. It's a downgrading system. And um, it can be quite crucial to maintaining enough balance in that cell and keeping that cell surviving long enough so that we, we don't die prematurely. Now, many humans today do die prematurely from vascular disease, and, and this is the mechanism. So ACE2 is expressed as almost um, almost what we would call a pharmaceutical. It's, a, it's the body's way of downgrading stress. In fact, it works identically to some of the uh, antihypertensive drugs. In fact, some of the most successful antihypertensive drugs, which are angiotensin receptor blockers, it's doing exactly the same thing as an angiotensin receptor blocker by just, uh, instead of blocking the, the receptor, it's actually cutting up the messenger and not allowing it to get to the receptor, so it's protecting that receptor from being overstimulated. And so it is that um, some humans can uh, and do use their renin system too much, um, stress the endothelium over time, and then as they get older, um, they rely on ACE2 to try and, and downregulate and maintain some sense of um, balance and homeostasis and allow them to survive longer. Mm -hmm.